Well, good morning, Iwo. You know, every once in a while, we have various halls do some team building kind of stuff. And yesterday, I was on the receiving end end of a couple of team building exercises from Evans Hall. Yesterday, uh, go Evans. Somebody apparently was given the task of baking the dean of the chapel uh, chocolate chip cookies. Yeah, and they came over in mid-afternoon with a plate full of fresh baked, still warm, still soft, still gooey chocolate chip cookies, and, and our office enjoyed it tremendously, and I thought, I'll be on the receiving end of that anytime. But apparently there was also a, a contest to color a picture for John Bray, and uh, somebody got confused and decided to color a picture of John Bray, and this was the result. That man ought to be arrested. If you see that guy stalking your house, run the other way, call campus police, do something. That's just freaky. Green face and blue eyes and pink shirt. And I haven't had hair like that since I was 21. Anyway, you can take that down, please, so that we can not be freaked the rest of the sermon. Uh, I've been thinking a little bit, but thanks for the picture, by the way. I've been thinking a little bit lately about, about I Woo and some of the things we do. And I've realized that at I Woo, we hold doors open for people, especially at Barnes in the student center. We see somebody coming, you hold the door. Somebody coming from the inside, they got their food from Wildcat, we hold the door open for them so they can get out. We see someone coming from class, we hold the door open so they can get in. If they're coming from class, you have to be careful when you hold the door open because you may not just hold the door open for one person, you may hold the door open for 20 people. That's the I Woo way. We just hold doors for each other. If you're at Baldwin and it's towards the end of the semester and you're, near, you're out of meal swipes, all you have to do is stand there and look hungry. <laughs> and someone will volunteer to swipe you in with their leftover meals. That's the Iowa way. We're generous that way. We're generous that way at Baldwin, at least. Not so much at McCann. <laughs> you get in line at McCann and somebody looks desperate for their caffeine, you, you defend your spot in line like you're Darth Vader and the, defending the Death Star. I mean, nobody gets in line in front of you at Macan because that, that's the Iowa way. <laughs> Saturday night is not a party night at a frat house at Iowa. It's binge watch Netflix. <laughs> that's the Iowa way. At IWU, you can leave your computer on a table in the commons for 15 minutes while you stand in line at Macan waiting for your Cuban latte to be done. And you know that when you get back, your computer will be there or your phone will be there or your books will be there. We trust each other that way. That's the IWU way. I haven't observed this directly, but I've been told by several people that if a guy asks a girl on a coffee date... You can pretty be, be pretty sure that by the next morning there will be a, a, a wedding page on Pinterest. <laughs> that seems to be the I will win. If you're playing campus golf and you hit a girl with a tennis ball, apparently you have to ask her number. That's the I will win. 
Now, this one is not yet the I will way, but it's becoming the I will way. It's pretty recent for all of us to figure it out yet. But if you sit over near the bakery in Baldwin and the bell of the oven timer goes off, <laughs> yeah, that's the signal that fresh cookies are coming out and it's time to stampede. I got caught in that the other day. I, I, I tell you, what, I was just walking past the bakery trying to resist temptation, but given it just a little chance in my life. <laughs> and I was walking past, and all of a sudden, there was this horde of students trampling me over, not caring at all about my health or safety. That's the I woo way. Well, I've been playing with the I Wu Wei question for a few weeks, asking people their opinion about it and what is the I Wu Wei, because I've been getting ready to ask this question, what's God's way? All fall, we talked about God's will. This semester, our chapel theme is the way of God. So what is that? Well, God's way is revealed to us in God's word, so it would be easy to say, what's God's way? This, just do this. But the reality is there's a lot of stuff in this. And some of it is descriptive. It's historic for a time and for a place. The Israelites went out every morning except on the Sabbath and collected manna to feed themselves that day. I love it. Manna means what is it? Like for 40 years, they said, go out and get whatever that stuff is. <laughs> they went out every day. When you leave your hall on, in the morning for, for breakfast, you don't just look around on the ground going, I wonder what I'm going to eat today. You just go to Baldwin. It's the Iwu way. So some of the stuff in the Bible is descriptive for then, not for now. Some of it's prescriptive, however. From God for all time, for all people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. God still expects us to do that. He'll always expect us to do that. Now, one of the complicating factors, I'd even say, if, if we were able to say, well, just read the word and figure it out, is um, I've discovered that a lot of us don't do that very well. We don't know the word all that well, it's one of the reasons this semester we're looking at some spiritual disciplines. A week and a half ago, Patty Bray did a chapel on, on studying the Word, giving yourself, becoming a person of the Word. She talked about a Bible study she's written that's actually posted on the chapel portal page. If you want to figure out some different Bible study methods, that might be one way to do it. You've got to know the Word to live the Word. It's not enough just to say, do this. Well, a few weeks ago, about a month ago, actually, I was doing some reading and came across a statement by Friedrich Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche, that jump-started my thinking on today's chapel sermon on God's way. Now, understand, Nietzsche is not necessarily the ideal person to pattern your life after. Nietzsche, if you know anything about him, or whether you know anything about him or not, uh, he was born into a Christian home. His dad was a Lutheran pastor. Nietzsche actually studied for ministry for a little while before he abandoned the faith. At one point, he writes, God is dead. 
by his, I think, mid-40s, he's mentally unstable enough. He can no longer live on himself, and he spends the rest of his life being cared for by his family. So he's not the guy you'd say, I want to grow up and be just like him. But towards the end of his productive years, he writes something that whether he knew it or not, I think echoes something we need to hear. This is what he said. The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. There, thereby results, and has always resulted in the long run, something which has made life worth living. A long obedience in the same direction. I think that comes pretty close to capturing a component of something Jesus taught. Maybe we could take a look at it in Luke chapter 9. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? The Jesus way. The God way. Deny yourself Take up your cross and follow. But let me tell you, there's a difference between reading that and living it. So let's break it down a little bit. First question, do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Do you you want to be one of those people who follow him? Do you really want to pursue that his way? That's actually a pretty important question. Can, Can I make a confession to you? I guess since I'm up here, I get to. I don't have to ask your permission. I'm going to make a confession to you. I don't like the word Christian. Now, please don't get me wrong. I know it's a historic term. I know that the followers of Jesus, the followers of the way were first called Christians at Antioch. I know that. But I don't like it much because it's become such a watered down word in our world. I talk to people all the time who who tell me about a family member or a friend, usually someone who's struggling in life, and they say, you know, they're a Christian. They went to youth camp when they were 12, and they prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Now they're not living for him today. And then they describe the mess they're in. But, but, it's, but they're a Christian. And it's like they ter- treat Christianity praying some little prayer that they prayed someday, sometime way back in the past as a, as a get-out-of-hell free card that they stick in their wallet or their shirt pocket and they don't bother living the Christ life. They just claim the Christ name. And to that end, lots of people look at Christians and go, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want to be anything about it. We use the term Christian in ways that have made it watered down and meaningless. That's why for years I've used a different term. I talk about being a Christ follower. A difference between praying a prayer and living the life. And Jesus begins this short but powerfully challenging section with simply observing that you have to desire to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple, a learner, someone who takes on the pattern of the rabbi who is their teacher. Do you want to be a follower? That brings me to the second question. Before I ask it, let me just tell you, about an event in my life 
when I was a young pastor in my lifetime church, we were very small and the church was very poor. And we operated a daycare center in the church, both as a service to the community and as a, as a way to actually cover some of the expenses of the church because the church was too small even to pay the bills and stuff like that. And I remember being down there one day in the daycare center talking to one of the teachers and I observed these two kids right over here and they were trying to play together. But it wasn't being very effective. There was a little girl, I don't know whether she was three or four, but she was little and she was trying to be large and in charge of this little boy. She was trying to get him to do something, and he was resisting, and she muscled up a little, tried to get him to do something a little bit again, and he wouldn't, and, and she was more urgent yet. And finally, he pointed his finger at her and said, you're not in charge of me. Would you do me a favor? Would you put your index finger up? Would you point to the person next to you and with some enthusiasm tell them you're not in charge of me? <laughs> Yeah. So, like, unless you're talking to your RD or Dr. Newman or Dr. Wright or Dr. Hill, you're right. You're this kind of in charge of you. There are levels of authority, but we're each a free moral agent. We have free will. We do what we choose to do. The problem is sometimes, sometimes we take this finger that with some enthusiasm, we pointed at the person next to us and said, you're not in charge of me. Instead of pointing it that way, we slightly raise our hand and we whisper, you're not in charge of me. Or maybe we don't point our finger. Maybe we don't even say the words out loud. We just choose to live it, life as if we're in charge of us and he is not. And Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Let me tell you something that you've probably already discovered. There's something inside you that doesn't want to say that, doesn't want to do that, doesn't want to deny yourself. There's something inside you that wants to be the boss of you. Something inside each of us that left to itself will rationalize why giving into temptation this time makes sense. We know that in general we should be obedient to the Lord, but this time temptation is attractive. By the way, temptation is always attractive if indeed it's temptation. And why this time I can do it. I, I know I shouldn't, but there's something inside you that will tell you getting up in the morning in order to spend time pursuing God and his word before you head off to class is unrealistic for a college student. And anyone who thinks you, you should is just being a legalist. There's something that will tell you that. It'll resist you taking your education and your skills to an inner city clinic or to an inner city school or to an inner city church where there's little recognition and where there's little note and where maybe there's some danger. It'll resist a calling to a third world setting. There's no money there. There's danger there. No one will ever know who you are there. You won't have a future there. Now understand, God doesn't always call us to such places. We're not always called to the down and out. Sometimes we're called to the up and out. But we're called to places where God calls us. And some of us, many of us, when hearing 
the suggestion that Jesus should be in charge of us, we immediately begin responding with, but what if? What if he calls me someplace hard? What if he calls me someplace I don't want to go? What if he asks me to be something I don't want to be? What if? And we immediately begin to think of things we don't ever want to do and assume that saying yes to God will automatically just put us in the middle of that. Why? I think it's because somewhere along the line, we've been, we've been listening to a lie whispered into our soul by the evil one. The one the Bible calls the father of lies. And if we want to be a Christ follower, we must choose to say no to the voice that's trying to get us to say no to the voice of God. We must choose to say no to the voice that's trying to get us to say no to the voice of God. The Jesus way is to say yes to him and no to self. In fact, Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow him. Now, we get confused by this idea of a cross sometimes. In our world, it's the symbol on the outside of a church or on top of a spire on a steeple. In our world, it's a piece of jewelry, gold, silver. Sometimes it's a tattoo these days. In our world, it's a piece of altar furniture, maybe rough hewn, or maybe it's shiny, polished walnut hanging on the inside wall of a church, and we think of the cross. When Jesus said to his followers, take up your cross, they didn't see it as a piece of jewelry. They didn't see it as a church decoration. For them, it would be like us hearing, take up your electric chair, take up your lethal injection, take up your cross. It's an instrument of oppression and death. Philip Yancey says that around the time of Christ, 30,000 Jewish men were crucified, hung on crosses to die, by the occupying Roman forces. 30,000. They were brutal. And Jesus says, take that up. Jesus says, there's a price to following me. You have to risk your life. Now, you may never be asked to risk your life physically. You may not. But you have to risk your life into his control, into his plans. You're asked to settle the question, not just who's in charge of me, but how fully is he in charge of me? Is he really my Lord, or is that just a word I use? One of my favorite authors is a guy named A.W. Tozer. He was a pastor back in the middle part of the last century. He said, in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne, and the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he himself remains on the throne. Perhaps this is at the bottom of the backsliding and worldliness among gospel believers today. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. Hmm. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. No cross for us, no dethronement, no dying. We remain king within the little kingdom of man's soul and wear our tinsel crown with all the pride of a Caesar, but we doom ourselves to shadows and weakness and spiritual sterility. Wow. 
That's our tendency. We're willing to settle for less because we're afraid to settle for more. Eugene Peterson said, there's a great market for religious experience in our world. I watch us as we worship and our hands are up and the band is playing and I figure any place where there's a band and a subwoofer, you know, pound, pound, pound. I sit on the front row. I don't need a pacemaker. All I need is a bass player. I mean, I, I know there's a lot, of, a lot of room for spiritual experience in our world, but Peterson says there's little, little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for the long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness, a long obedience in the same direction. This is true in our world because we've missed something important. We've missed the idea that God really did create us and he knows how we're wired and he knows what's best for us. And some of us in a desperate fight to have our own way make choices that say, uh, this seems to get me ahead and yet we lose our soul because of it. Or he says, you can lose yourself to me and in the end be farther ahead because you're living life the way I wired you to live it, and you're allowing me to bless you the way I desire to bless you, because you've taken up your identity with me, and you've patterned your life for mine, after mine, and you've walked step by step by step by step by step in obedience, a long obedience in the same direction because you've denied yourself and followed him. Can I pray for you? Lord Jesus, earlier we sang, come set your rule and reign in our hearts. And I know there are men and women in this room right now who actually need to do that. They call themselves Christian but in the reality, there are parts in their life where they are not following. Parts of their lives which are not reflections. Parts of their lives where their little pointy finger is raised and they're whispering, in this part of my life, you're not in charge of me. Lord, nudge us. Nudge us towards repentance. Reveal in us any place where we might still try to be large and in charge of our own lives and bring us to that place where we can with a clear heart and a clear mind say, God, you're in charge of me, all of me, no matter what. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go serve him today. Found a horse like you in a turkey by the